Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Thinking Caps. And this week we are joined by Dan Gertzikov, who is the Global Chief Marketing Officer of Focus Brands. And you've been in their restaurants. We're talking Auntie's, uh, Auntie Anne's, we're talking Carvel, we're talking Cinnabon, Jabba Juice, a, a ton of great things. They have a global footprint. And Dan has a very interesting background, which we're gonna get into. Um, but we're going to dig in right now and talk about how they are moving through the pandemic, what they're seeing, what their plans are on the backside, loyalty, it's everything. And in fact, my co-host, Richard Jones, CMO of Cheetah Digital is here. And Richard, I know you're chomping at the bit to get the dance, so why don't you kick it off? Yeah, great. Well, Dan, great to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Um, first, great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Not a problem, not a problem. So firstly, could you... Could you tell us a little bit about um, focus brands and also go into, you know, your career journey and, and what how you ended up as being the CMO of, of focus brands. Great. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Tim. I've been a listener for a while, so I'm excited uh, to, to be on the podcast. I appreciate it. So, yeah, for those that can see me, uh, as he introduction, you know, a bit of an introduction, what is focus brands? Nobody knows uh, brand focus brands. We're actually seven brands. Uh, 6,500 restaurants in about 50 countries, most of our footprint here in the U.S. Um, some of the brands you'll reference on the intro, like uh, Cinnabon and Auntie Anne's, Jamba Juice, Carvel, some more regional restaurant brands like Moe's, Southwest Grill, McAllister's Deli, Schlotzky's Deli. So it is a, it's been, I've been here just coming up on a year. Um, you, you asked about my, my background. I'd say it's a bit, um, eccentric for the uh, restaurant business. My background's more on the digital side. I guess coming through this whole crisis, maybe having some digital chops helps in the restaurant biz. Uh, I spent uh, many years at Google. I started with Google in New York City in uh, 2006. Um, the early days of Google, um, not early enough, but early at Google and uh, spent there helping Google start new businesses and television and print radio space, and then moved down to Latin America. I went abroad with Google. I was in Argentina and then in Colombia, opening up offices for Google in South America and did that for a number of years. Um, when uh, Google wanted us to come back to the States, uh, we had just had a child, a second child, and wanted to give uh, our kids a chance to grow bilingual. So we ended up getting off the Google bus in South America. I was in Bogota, Colombia, and uh, I had the startup itch. So I ended up going to join a, a data startup that was trying to reinvent microfinance, but with mobile apps. Like if microfinance was started today, how would they do it? And it would probably look more app-driven and think about alternative credit scoring than maybe uh, finance had done before. So I joined that company um, as the regional CEO and raised a bunch of money and went through a bunch of, you know, typical venture uh, rounds with Silicon Valley. Uh, one of the investors in that company was a, is a gentleman who owns all of the McDonald's in Latin America. So there's one gentleman who owns 2,200 McDonald's. And uh, he asked me if I would join him at McDonald's or the franchisee of McDonald's to uh, help do a digital turnaround and um, turned out to be a great opportunity. I ended up joining that company a couple of years into that uh, journey. Uh, my, my scope increased to include marketing 
and uh, did that for a number of years till it came time to get the family back to the U.S. And that's when I joined Focus Brands uh, coming up on about a year ago. So my role at Focus Brands is a global chief marketing officer. I've got uh, across the portfolio, what you think about with marketing. So that's advertising and brand management and a kind of general strategy for the company, working with all of our brand presidents and their marketers. But I've also got some um, things that cut across the portfolio, like strategy and insights, a new discipline in revenue management. And I also have digital. So that's a, maybe a new thing. You know, my old, my background, plus where marketing's going, I think it's natural that digital fits in under that scope as a commercial capability and also media, part of the media mix. So digital is part of my scope as well. And so that's my role in the company is uh, similar to my prior role and introduce digital as a way to either make money or save money and uh, do that across our portfolio. Wow. <laughs> Roller it keeps coaster. me busy. It keeps me busy. Roller I'm coaster. My Atlanta Braves hat. I don't get to go to enough Atlanta Braves games given uh, everything we get. And especially, well, never mind, they're not playing uh, right now, but the last few months have been a challenge for everybody yeah. all over the world. And, and uh, for us as well. So we've been working through that. Wow. So what are the first things you tackle? Like when you get to a brand, you know, or a company like Focus Brands, you said seven brands, global footprint, 6,000 plus, you know, locations. W what do you dig in with first? Yeah, that's, um, so I spend my first 90 days, I've been running a playbook uh, when I started new, new one of my, I had a, went to business school. One of my professors was the guy who wrote the book called The First 90 Days. Uh, Michael Watkins, who's one of my professors at HBS, and he, uh, I took his class, read his book, and become a disciple. Yeah, a lot of that situational assessment, you got to recognize, are you in a turnaround? Are you in a startup? Are you in, a, you know, continuing success? So it's somewhat situational assessment. There's a whole process of listening. Uh, one of the uh, guide and, you know, uh, one of the people that I look to for inspiration and one of the quotes that, that I try to follow in starting any kind of new challenge is seek first to understand and then be understood. That's from Stephen Covey, uh, The Seven Habits of Successful Folks. He, um, and I, I try to do that. So I, I ended up taking, uh, you know, the same set of questions, this is right out of the first 90 days, and in my process at, at Focus Brands, I asked 92 individuals those same five questions. And those individuals were from board members all the way down to, you know, franchisees and restaurant managers. I worked in the restaurants of our seven brands. I rolled pretzels in Pennsylvania and I made smoothies in California. And I was, you know, scooping ice cream in Long Island and, you know, rolling burritos in Texas. So that process also gives you a sense. You don't make money in a restaurant. And in most businesses, you don't make money in the office. You make, uh, at least in the retail side, maybe I guess you can in finance. But if you're in retail or restaurants, you make money in the place where people buy your goods. And so my first 90 days was part assessment, part listening and learning, and part getting, you know, real, my hands literally dirty and then cleaned again by uh, working in the restaurants. And so I came out of that first 90 days with a plan for the board. And that plan was kind of the, the, what's the direction of this bus? When it comes to marketing and digital, what's the direction we need to be going? What are the seats on those bus? Like how do we organize ourselves to be successful for that strategy? And then a talent assessment or what are the people that we need in those seats? 
I think a mistake that I've, I've, I've fallen into myself or I've seen other folks do is people jump right in and it's like, I've already got the game plan and they haven't stopped to listen and learn the why maybe that game plan was tried three years ago and didn't work. Or if we were to try that same game plan that we tried three years ago now, what would be the things that we do differently? I see other folks try to take uh, right off the bat, try making decisions around people and trying to fit people or the people they've got into the roles that they've got whether that are already existing versus trying to decide where we need to go, what are those seats, and then how do the people that we fit can be trained to get onto that bus or can be, you know, the ideas that there, there should be room for all, you know, people with the attitude and aptitude, there's room on the bus. But if you lack the, you know, you don't have to have the experience, but if you've got the aptitude and the attitude, I'm willing to work with you to get you on the bus. And if you don't, well, then we'll, you know, talk about what are the people that we need for that. Great. So that's, that's, that's the roadmap. It's, you know, listen, learn, and then get alignment from top all the way down on the direction, seats, and the people on the bus. Great yeah, leadership, POV. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Um, I'm, I'm curious, actually, when you... When you went in and you were doing the research, and by the way, I 100% agree with you, people that come into a new job make decisions before they've actually learned the business, just lack credibility with the wider team uh, instantly. So I love the depth of research that you did. But when you were going in and performing those roles in the restaurants and stuff, I'm curious, did you do that incognito or did you, how did you frame that? Or did you, hey, CMO, I want to wash dishes for a bit. How did you, how did you broach that? Yeah, I mean, well, for consumers, I guess it wasn't undercover or boss or anything like that. Um, we, you know, for franchisees, we we also own some of our own stores, so that obviously was easier to in some of our brands. Or, and I, to be honest, franchisees love the fact that a new executive wanted to come in and work the line. They work the line every day, you know. So it, you know, some they would introduce me to the staff. Here's a corporate guy. They wouldn't go into my, you know too much, and I would just you know, get on the line. I also have a cooking hobby. That's why I found myself, you know, into the restaurant industry. So I, I love working the line and serving customers. And some of those experiences and those conversations with franchisees, with restaurant managers and with crew, and even with customers, like I would do like, you know, stop a customer and say, you got a second for me and just do an impromptu interview. It's not the, you know, the empirical research that we would normally do, but it gives you a flavor and a sense of how people are really experiencing your brand. And that customer experience, like I said, doesn't happen in the ivory tower of your office building um, or your, your, your house these days. You know, so that, that is getting back into the restaurants and get, getting where the, you know, literally your serving your customers can always do you well. You know, another thing that, that um, I, I think we, we share after we, we chatted the other day is, you know, one obviously is research, but, um, simplicity, I think, is is one of the hardest things to gain in running teams, running marketing, all the rest of it. Simplicity, goals, simplicity of messaging. Um, you know, marketing is full of buzzwords and um, full of people that love buzzwords. So, you know, I've heard you talk about a theme of more guests more often, and I love the simplicity of that. Tell us, tell us about that theme and how you've used it. Right. No, I appreciate it. that was one of the things, uh, kind of headline that came out of that first 90 days and kind of what is the north, what's the mantra that we can use in the company. And I will tell you that the, the that strategy is not, you know, some, you know, inspiration, the Ten Commandments coming down the mountain. Like, the, you know, the idea in the restaurant business, you want to bring in more people or increase frequency, that's as old as time. So it's not about the, the, the inspiration per se, 
but it, it is about, especially with an organization our size, that it's memorable, that it's relatable, that people can, it, when you say it, those four words actually mean something and tells you not only what it's about, but what it's not about. We had for a long time, you know, thought about, you know, and like every company, we care about you know, profit or general sales and so forth. But the traffic piece of our business wasn't the primary KPI for a while. And so that, we didn't take our eye off the ball of other KPIs, but we were able to bring visits up to the top. And I, thought, I think what you find in the restaurant business over the last five years, I'd say, especially in our industry, which is more about fast casual and our restaurants and some of our snack brands, there's been a proliferation of competition. So it's been, everybody's been slicing up the, the pie, the pie, the pie, and there's a lot of, we've been losing share and recognizing that share in this industry and traffic is what drives, you know, that kind of customer loyalty and getting that frequency up has been um, opening the door for us. And to be honest, even through, you know, all the things that we've gone through, it, I would say it's been about more about frequency, like getting, you know, that from our loyal guests. And that's a good, you know, segue into some of the things we're doing in digital that allows us to have that one-to-one -one conversation with our customers or one-to-few conversation. But um, it, it has been being a solution to our customers' problems in a way, like I said, that from crew to French, to restaurant managers, to franchisees, to brands, to the portfolio, up and down, you know, you can, you can put it on the wall and it means something. I think that that is, um, that's been, you know, like I said, it's not about the, the, the inspiration, but maybe more about the perspiration of being consistent and really being articulate about it, which is uh, the most valuable. Awesome. You know, you, you just mentioned something there. You, you have a lot of, a lot of different properties. I mean, focus brands is global 6,000 plus locations. Is that that's right. That's right. Yeah, right. So with that, let's talk about scale a little bit and, and the actual activation. How do you get the scale and how do you leverage, you know, the infrastructure that you're using, you know, across your brands? You know, we, we, we know we love that. That's what we like to talk about. We love to understand how you're using it. We were named a leader in the Forrester way for email this week. Today. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Right. And we've already been a loyal um, a leader in loyalty uh, last year, late last year. So, and today, ironically, we just found out Gartner's magic quadrant came out and we're a strong challenger in the multi-channel marketing space. So, but how do you use, you know, scale and leverage of your marketing infrastructure mm -hmm. across so many different brands and a global footprint? Yeah, that is uh, one of the things that we we challenge we are challenged by, and we challenge ourselves to live up to because that that the, like I was describing, you make money in the restaurant, you make money, you know, where where the rubber hits the road in this industry is people getting having a food experience that they really enjoy and want to tell their friends about. That to make that happen, you've got to make sure you can make decisions closer to the customers. So we want to be able to provide the people that have insight into the customers and into our franchisees, the ability to the agility to make decisions. So we call that, you know, the, that freedom is within a framework. And I think that framework is where you leverage the scale. So there is a focus way, you know, we, we've developed the playbook and, you know, working through all these kind of materials to say there is a focus way of doing, whether it's brand marketing or menu strategy or uh, digital marketing automation, that we've got an approach and within that approach we've got um, a couple of approved vendors or depending on a one or one vendor that we're going to work with and within that you get to choose 
how you want to, um, you know, what, what makes sense? What are the sequencing? What's the prioritization? You think about email, like well, there's no way against seven brands, we're going to be able to centrally decide who gets to send all those different emails across the company. But what we can do is say, look, best practice is not to send more than two emails a week. And we know that, you know, on Monday mornings and Thursday afternoons is when we get the best open rates. So the system is set up so you can send two messages a week. And if you want to send a third, let's just talk about it, right? So we, we kind of set these guardrails in place where we kind of like make the best practice, the way of operating and give the flexibility, like, look, a crisis happened. Something went down. We need to send a third email. Great. Well, let's do it. But we, we set the framework where it's also not everybody's doing their own thing and we lose the leverage of our scale. The same thing with vendors. You can imagine we've got seven brands and, uh, you know, different loyalty programs, having seven different loyalty constructs and living in seven different databases with seven different when, when something, you know, comes down the pike that we need to, you know, think about uh, giving customers the ability to opt out or, you know, whatever regulation comes down, the ability to move quickly across with one platform provides that agility. So the, I would say, you know, um, again, simple things that people remember, freedom within a framework, guardrail, guardrails. We talk about federal rights versus states' rights. Maybe relevant to the thing we're living through today, but in our world, federal rights, what are the things that the center decides on? What are the things that brands decide on? And what are the things that franchisees decide on? We do not want to be, you know, some bureaucratic uh, black hole where questions go out and answers never come back. So I'll give you an example. I don't know if everybody's videoing in or, or, um, just listening, but behind me on the video screen is an example. It's my little, uh, you don't see the, the mess in my home office, but it's this gift card program, which we call the Mix It Up gift cards, which are seven options and one gift card. And that's an example. Each one of our brands had a gift card program. Each one of our brands was thinking about their gift card program. But it turns out when people give a gift of a gift card, one of the things they love to give is flexibility, where if you want a burrito, you can get a burrito. If you want a pretzel, if you want an ice cream. And so we pulled all those resources together, pulled together and centralized a gift card program that works across all seven of those brands. And now we're activating that. And we, we, we have high expectations for a program like that. We'll add value to our franchisees and put the power into the hands of the customers. And, and those are some of the examples of, of how we try to, leverage our scale, but also stay, you know, let decisions get made closer to the customer. Makes Adam, on, sense. On, on that point, um, it's a good segue to just maybe uh, touch on how you've used the gift card uh, program to um, provide some, you know, philanthropic help to frontline workers during COVID, uh, COVID-19. So tell us a little bit about that program and how folks can, can help if, uh, and get involved if they want to. Yeah, that's an example of, uh, you know, kind of serendipitous, right? So we had a, an example, our, our franchisees and all of our brands, like many others as well, we're really proud that they, as soon as this crisis hit, they got started getting involved and dropping off smoothies or pretzels or whatever it was to first responders. And that was happening around the country, you know, from bottoms up. Franchisees are part of their local community and got engaged right off the bat. And we had, um, you know, one of our partners in this case, you know, excited to share Cheetah said to us, hey, look, we'd love to support what you guys are doing. 
And this is actually the, you know, double-edged sword because we've got seven brands. So if we wanted it, well, you could help one or you could divide it in seven or how can we help you? And what it turns out is that this gift card program allows, you know, somebody like Cheetah or any of our, one of our partners to be able to buy in bulk a bunch of gift cards, make sure we're working through nonprofit vendors so they get right to the front lines and the people that are in the front lines can decide how to use them. So we weren't in the, and that's like, again, we didn't create the gift card program to be able to channel, you know, a first responder program, but it was one of the benefits of having something we can use at scale. We think that these kind of gift card program or this, these kinds of um, the rails, what I'd call them, like because this gift card can be redeemed at the point of sale, we imagine we could do loyalty across platform or we could, you know, accumulate points in one brand and redeem them in another. And again, we thought through it initially as a gift card, but it has a broader appeal. And that's what I think customers are looking for today. You know, I have limited time, limited money, limited bandwidth. Help make this simple for me. Make it easy for me. Save me time. Save me money. And I think these kinds of efforts like, um, you know, whether it's on the gift cards, the loyalty, or make it easy for me to donate to first responders. Those are the kinds of things uh, that we're excited to, to, to execute on and really appreciative of Cheetah's support too. No, we were, we were happy to get involved. So it's a great, great program and, and, and congratulations for setting that up in, in such a quick, quick time. Now, now, I just wanted to shift gear to coming back to that kind of concept of simplicity that we talked about um, uh, a little bit earlier. And you know we were we were having a conversation um, uh, earlier this week, and you know for the viewers that 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 don't use our technology, obviously, you know we we're investing in machine learning as a way to help our customers make you know perhaps simple decisions that rely on complex data. So you know when's the right time to send an email to somebody sure. where they're going to open it as an individual? You know when's the time that's going to be best for them? You know something like that requires actually the ability to interrogate large data sets to make simple decisions. And I, and I brought up to you, said, oh, you know, how, how are you thinking of deploying machine learning as a, uh, you know, in your own marketing infrastructure? And I thought you said something really interesting, which was like, well, hold on a minute. We also need to think about ensuring that we maximize human learning. So yeah, give, us, right. give us your view on your perspective on that. That's right. I, I think, and, and you referenced it earlier when the acronyms in our industry and everything, the shiny new toy. And I, I was lucky enough, like I mentioned in my background, to work on some, you know, machine learning, credit scoring, which can get pretty complex. So I've had some exposure to it. The answer is for franchisees, the ability, you know, and, and I don't think it's just in our industry, but it's, it's specific in our industry. There is a baseline that customers need to have a great experience. They have a great experience. They're going to want to get engaged in your loyalty program or download your app, like you, you're, you're adding value to their lives. You're either saving them a step, or you're giving them an extra benefit. Let's start there. And when you start building on top of that customer value that you're delivering, then you can start taking, like I said, some of the best practices about what we know, uh, having done email marketing for 20 years, of when to send things or what click-through rates matter. What are the KPIs we really care about? And what are the vanity metrics? And let's put the vanity metrics to the side and focus on the ones that drive the business. So that's like a step, like building a house. You build the foundation on the customer and providing them business, you know, value, whether it's convenience, uh, you know, value for money, whatever that perceived value, that's the foundation of the house. Clear KPIs and kind of what is the business outcomes that will show that it's working, I think is the next layer on that house. 
And then starting to get with this crawl, walk, run, when you're coming out of crawl and starting to, to walk, all right, so how do we make sure that that's a consistent experience across all of our brands? How do we make sure if it's consistent in one brand that it starts to be consistent across all of the brands? And you start building on it. Like I said, there's still humans behind all these decisions. We've got marketing managers. We've got agencies. We've got a lot of folks and, you know, pretty complex business to line up to make sure that people understand why, you know, if I send three SMSs to, you know, a customer in a week that my uh, churn may go up. Like, yeah, if you were, a con I'm a consumer. If I get three SMSs in a week, I'm, I want out of that program as well, right? So I think building that crawl to walk, which for me is is literally just standing, I'm using the analogy of crawl to walk, standing up and starting to take those paces on your own. I think when you start to run, and that's when I think, you know, the machine learning stuff, that the, the best part about the, the moment that we're living in is that some of that more advanced things can be rented versus bought. You can leverage a platform like Cheetahs versus trying to build out your own and hire your own data scientists. You can, as an example, and this is where, you know, we, we're, we're able to carve out some of, you know, anonymize some of the data and let you guys, you know, put it in a data lake and let you have a, a run at what segments would look like. No customer data, no PII or personal identifiable information. Just what do these segments look like from your machine learning models? And we've separated that out from the core running of the business. So when you guys come back or somebody else comes back and said, hey, you should be thinking about, you know, uh, a segment of, you know, we, we look at Moe's as an example as a family business. Like on the weekends or some of our, our best uh, times of the year or Moe's Mo Mondays when people go in for a special offer. The, what can we do? Hey, we're seeing that mom's are a big opportunity, but it's not just moms, it's kid pleasers. It's moms that follow this kind of, you know, pathway of what the kind of offers that they open as an example. Well, great. We can then test that kind of test and learn. And, you know, rather than email out to a hundred thousand, we email out to a thousand, see the open rate, see the click through. It's like performance marketing has been, been done like this for 20 years. So I, I think sometimes the acronyms and, you know, some of those corner cases of all the really shiny objects get in the way of just the core blocking and tackling of marketing that haven't changed for 20 years. It's providing value to customers. It's thinking through how to scale that value, how to link it to business outcomes, and then really doing rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat until, you know, you're ready to build on that next layer. Um, Yep. The, the, the last thing I'd say, I'm sorry, I'm going on over a little bit. One of the things I learned um, in my years at Google, and this has been documented in other books and articles that other Google colleagues have written about Google's thoughts about innovation. is something that they learned uh, from some of the folks that, that went over from Intel, some of the John Dewar, a board member, and other folks, was is a 70-20-10 model around innovation. And this is a way of thinking not only about your pipeline, but how to allocate your resources. And just really briefly, for folks that haven't heard of it before, it's pretty basic. 70% of your effort should be around what is your core business. 20% around what is emerging businesses and 10% what they consider big bets. And it's not just about, that's thinking about like Google, which is core resources as engineers, how they allocate their engineers, but also innovation. There are engineers at Google that will get paid their bonus if they, 
you know, that one search result goes from 0.0001 to (laughs) 0.0001. And that move, that difference is, you know, eons of time given how many searches there are. And that's innovating on the core. Like something I remember a stat from when I was at Google, that Google makes 5,000 adjustments a year, really minor ones to the Google outcome page, you know, the search results page. And they're like little things and colors or fonts or just little optimizations, always A-B testing. In order of those 5,000 tests, maybe 500 will prove to have been things that really move the needle. 4,500 were either negative or didn't move the needle at all. So it's only 500 that make it, but that's innovating on the core. Then you got things like they're in the 20% category that there are you know, growing and are becoming part of the core. When you think about Google, you know, I think you have to look at Google today with Android and those things are not just core. I mean, billions of users of Chrome or some of these other things that started small were a big bet, graduated to be emerging and are now part of their core. Um, and I think that big bet piece is not the only, that, that, that's where you're taking, you know, trying five things with luck, one of them works. And if it's only 10% of your budget, 10% of your time, then you can afford it. If it takes to become 20 or 30% of your time, I would challenge, or your resources, I challenge you spending too much on those big bets. You need to be thinking about taking some of those resources and innovating against the core and the emerging, because it should be a funnel. The ones that are in bets should graduate to emerging, and emerging should graduate to core. And, and that's what I think companies, not a lot of people see when they see all the headlines of all the cool, shiny things that Google is working on. It's only 10% of the resources. Luckily, it's a big enough company where 10% of a lot is, is a lot too. But the core of their innovation model is getting better at their core. And I've tried to bring that now to the restaurant industry where we know our core. We have now, as an example, uh, off-premise, which was an emerging, is now through this thing become core. And we're continuing to evolve that model so that we get better at even what we're doing in pickup or, you know, an off-premise, whether it's delivery through marketplaces or delivery on our own. So there's a lot to learn from those companies, but but can be, you know, old brick and mortar companies or, you know, kind of the hybrid models like ours can learn a lot from those, uh, those core digital first companies. It's interesting. You mentioned, uh, you know, um, database marketing, permission marketing, and the core of marketing that sort of hasn't changed for, for 20 years. And, we actually had um, Seth Godin, who, you know, obviously wrote all the permission-based marketing uh, books and really sort of launched that at our Signals 2020 uh, conference because, um, you know, it's almost like in many ways we're going back to the future because with the, with the tracking cookie getting turned off by Google and others and privacy coming on board, you know, people were having, you know, they can't buy data anymore in the same way they could. So it is about building your marketing database. It's almost coming back to those yeah. fundamentals. I'll give you another fundamental I think is even more core, and I don't think enough marketers think about it, is the golden rule of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yes. And how many marketers think about whether I would want to get those three SMSs a week or I'd want to get an email that, you know, has no, doesn't add any value to me. I don't think enough folks, you know, I'm attracted by other by brands that share my values. So it would be natural that I would want to lead with my values to the consumers that I'm talking about. And I think that if, if we, that golden rule, which is like, again, old as, you know, humanity, were applied in marketing, market onto others as you'd want to be marketed to, I think we'd see a lot less junk 
uh, and a lot less kind of frivolous marketing. And we would go deeper in the things that we do. And I, I try to, it's hard. I try to model that in our company as well. That's great. That's great. Well, guys, we're 30 minutes in. Richard, do you have anything uh, before we uh, let Dan get back to his busy, busy day? This has been really insightful. I'm yeah, don't, just got one last question. Uh, if you can spend a couple of minutes before we, uh, before we finish, which is, you know, really around the complexity. You know, how do you, how do you actually plan, uh, you know, for, for marketing moving forward uh, mm-hmm. in the current situation, given there are so many unknowns? So give, it, give, us a, give us a view on kind of how you're approaching the whole kind of marketing planning side of things. Yeah, none, none of us have a crystal ball, right? And so we all consume all the different research and articles and data that comes out and everybody's, you know, rather than, and I think this is healthy overall, rather than a staid, you know, kind of structured business planning process, what we're moving to is more kind of scenario planning, which again has been done in other industries for a long period of time, but like taking a, a scenario that things go back to normal sooner than later, what is what would we do in that scenario? Taking a scenario that things spike, get better, and then spike again. What would that look like? And just playing out some of those scenarios, I would say putting you know a, a foot in, not a whole leg in, because I think you can go too far and try to answer all of the questions of those scenarios. And really, if you get 70% kind of an idea or 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 you have some ideas about the, 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 the Pareto principle of what are the 20% of the things that have an 80 70 or 80% impact, I think, and just play out some of those scenarios, you will be in a better position when those scenarios present themselves. And I think that that is our approach. We want to have a process that includes, like for our business, going out and working in the restaurant. So we incorporated this now into our new process. Like we would do business planning in the office, we will continue to, you know, whether office or home, we will continue to do, you know, some some computer research or whatever it may be or Excel modeling. But part of that is going to work in a restaurant. You know, part of that is sitting down with franchisees. So that's early on in the process. Going to see some of your competitors, understand how they're positioning and not just, you know, what you see online or what somebody else writes in a research report. So that's part of the process. Then building out some of those scenarios and being able to have, like I said, some confidence around those, the few things that have the biggest impact and being okay to stop there and then say, new data, new decision. So if we have data that's trending in one to one of those scenarios, then we incorporate that data and we start going deeper in the scenario that looks more likely. That is gonna be kind of our go forward path in these uncertain times. And, And that is, I think, the only thing that we can do. We are excited to open up, you know, and to start being part of the solution for as people come out of their homes. And that will, that's one of the scenarios we're playing out and we're starting to play out. If that continues in a straight line, if that dips and, you know, and increases and what that looks like. So those would be my advice. Scenarios over processes, get out into where your consumers buy your, buy your goods or services uh, even if that's B2B, like sit with one of your customers, get in their shoes if it's not B2C. And then think about the few things that have the biggest impact and then play out those scenarios and then be ready to be agile to make a better decision with new data points. Well, Dan, this has been a great uh, half an hour, full of, of advice for our listeners. So thank you very much 
for sparing the time to come on and, and talk to us on thinking caps and uh, yeah, wearing a, a color coordinated hat. I mean, uh, very good. Great, great guys. It's a pleasure. I'm an avid listener. It's a pleasure to be on the, be on the podcast. Thanks a lot.